What a day of rejoicing that will be. We're thankful to God to be back together this afternoon. And uh, there's more about Jesus that we would learn. Amen? Man, I could remember a time. You know, it, it really is amazing when you can just remember times. I don't know if you remember it in your life, but I remember it in mine when we were having our lunch fellowship this afternoon and we were just reminiscing on the times where we didn't know God and he was the last person on our minds and how he got our attention and today he's the center of our hearts. I pray that the love of Jesus is in the center of your heart. God is really good to us and God loves us and he wants us to be a people prepared to meet him because he's coming. This world has given us every harbinger to let us know he's coming. And therefore, he calls us to be a people prepared. And we saw that, you know, time is almost finished. We saw that the finishing of the work was a great focus of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we, we saw that God wants to finish the work through us. We are that body that he wants to work in and work through to finish the work in this generation so we can finally go home. And so he's just calling us to cooperate with him. So this afternoon, we, we, we've responded to the call. We recognize, all right, I'm not called to be a reflector of another man's thoughts or another man's direction. I am called of God to follow his leading and his guiding. But God is making a call to workers, but now we need to understand the kind of workers that God is setting up. And so we're going to study this afternoon the threefold workers. The threefold workers. That's going to be our focus for this afternoon's study. So as is our tradition, I'm going to once again ask that if you are able to, that you would please reverently kneel with me as we approach the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the revival and the reformation that has already begun in our hearts this weekend. We thank you for the homes and the hearts that have been changed for thy glory. And Lord, it's our desire that we really get things right with you. And Lord, that's why we're here. We're hungering. We're thirsting after righteousness. There's more about Jesus we all would learn. That's why we're here, Father. And so, Lord, we know that your desire is to give us the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Father, we know that your desire is to give us your Holy Spirit. For you said in your word that as an earthly child asks an earthly parent for temporal things, how much more? Does our Father in heaven want to give us and will give us the Holy Spirit if we would ask? And so, Father, we ask first for the forgiveness of our sins. But then, Lord, we pray, please send us your Holy Spirit. May he be the one that gives us power. May he be the one that opens our eyes and gives us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And may you enable us that we will go forward and finish the work as you have called us to do. And abide with us now as we observe the threefold workers. I pray that thy blessings will be upon each and every one of your people, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll remember earlier today that I mentioned that to be like Jesus is to work like Jesus. If we're going to be like Jesus, we saw that we need to have a mind like his. And one of the things we discovered about his mind is that his mind was focused on finishing the work. Can we say amen to that? We saw that very clearly. And as that was the focus of Jesus, so it will be with all of Christ's workers in these last days. Now, looking at that very fact, it is not enough to simply have the mind of Christ, but obviously the actions as well. 
the work of Jesus should be our work. Now, Jesus gave us a very express statement in the book of John, the 20th chapter. And when you go to John chapter 20, you'll find that the Bible says something very beautiful as it relates to Christ and the workers. Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 20. And when you get there, please say amen. In John, the 20th chapter, I want you to see how Jesus articulates this. And of course, this is when he revealed himself to the disciples. And the Bible says in John chapter 20 and verse 21, notice what it says. It says, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. For those of us who understand that Christ has called us to finish the work, for those of us who understand that Jesus has called us to do the work as he did it, and Jesus successfully did his work, didn't he? So therefore, we want to have the success Christ had. Jesus says, it's not a problem to have it, but you and I need to understand, as my Father sent me, so send I you. So the question is, how was Jesus sent? That would obviously be the natural question that would come from the inquiring mind of one who wants to work like Christ's work. So therefore, Jesus says, as my Father sent me, so send I you. So the question is, how did the Father send him? Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, we find exactly how Jesus was sent. And we would do well to consider this. Matthew, the 20th chapter. And I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 28. Very, very key. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. How was Jesus sent? Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. When you and I get involved in gospel work, self and selfishness cannot be in it. Christ made it clear. He says, when I came, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And you will find that many a times when Jesus went about doing his work, it was very rare that he was ministered unto. There's only a few occasions in the Bible where we find that he was ministered unto. When he went to his friend Lazarus' house, he was ministered unto. When Mary came and was able to wipe his feet with her hair, he was ministered unto. But most of the times when you look at the life of Jesus, he was one who was ministering and not so much receiving. Now, brothers and sisters, was Jesus human? Yes, he was. So, while he's making this statement, I came not to be ministered unto, would you not agree that human beings need to be ministered unto? So how do we put this together then when Jesus says, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom, yet he walked on earth full-blown as a human being, but yet he says, I came not to be ministered unto, but human beings need to be ministered to. How do we make it all gel together? It's very simple. Go to the book of Mark, chapter 1. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, we find why Jesus was able to go around people, and most of the time, he was not ministered unto, yet he still had the wherewithal to minister unto others. The reason why is because Jesus was ministered unto, but it typically was not by people. Notice what the Bible says in Mark, chapter 1. In Mark, chapter 1, if you're there, please say amen. Now, the Bible says in Mark, the first chapter, I want you to look at this. The Bible talks about how in verse 
28. Let's notice what it says in verse 28. It says, And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. Now, notice what's taking place. Jesus, his fame is spreading abroad. Jesus ends up at Peter's mother-in-law's house. He's at Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he's now ministering. And here it is that she was sick, and he was able to help her. After this took place, she began to minister unto others. And then the Bible said, and then the sun did set. So first and foremost, we want to recognize that this was all taking place on a Sabbath day. This was taking place on the Sabbath. The sun is now set. Now, chances are, I want, I want you to really work with me and let, let's just get real fundamental on something. If the sun set, then that means that chances are if we were calculating time, it must have been somewhere along the lines of maybe 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, or perhaps even 8 o'clock in the evening. Are you following? Does that make sense? Is that sensible? If we were measuring time in these days and the sun is now set, chances are it's sometime in the evening, maybe 6, 7, or 8, or something along those lines, right? Now, look at what it said again in verse 32. It says, And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him how many? All that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. Now, I want you to imagine that you were ministering to people all day today. Sunset now comes and it's 5.30 or 6 o'clock and all of Redland or Loma Linda combined came right at those doors and they were waiting outside for you to go ahead and begin ministering to them. Can you imagine how many people that would be? Quite a few, right? So would you agree that chances are, if you're going to begin helping those people, because look at what it says in verse 33. It says, and all the city was gathered together at the door. I want you to imagine all of Redland, all of Loma Linda, they're here at the door and they're saying, help us. You would probably start getting exhausted just thinking about the work you have to do. Is that right? Notice what it says in verse 34. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Jesus sees all these people and immediately he begins ministering, 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 ministering. And chances are he probably had a real late night. He started his work at the evening and he's healing all these people. You can imagine that he's having this work and he's perhaps doing it way down in the late hours of the evening, maybe even in the early morning. But do you know something I love about Jesus? He was a man of incredible priority. 
Jesus understood that even though I need to help these people, even though I have to do a great work, Jesus could have said, I'm tired, come back tomorrow. But Jesus knew they had a need right now. It was amazing how the Bible shows that he's helping all these people, and perhaps he had a late evening. But notice what verse 35 says was the culture of Christ. The Bible says in verse 35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went in out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Jesus understood the necessity of morning manna. Jesus understood the necessity that I am no good to anybody unless I first get my connection with my Father. And even in the midst of having a late night work, so to speak, Christ still made a priority to connect with the Father because he knew I'm here as a human being and I need my connection. And though he was never ministered unto from the people, he was ministered unto when he connected with his Father. He understood that when I tap into that vital source, that power source up there in heaven, he is now equipped that now he can fulfill verse 36. What does it say in verse 36? It says, and Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. And he had to start all over again ministering unto others. While in many respects, he himself may not have been ministered unto. You see, brothers and sisters, when you and I get involved in the work of the gospel, you will find that there will be very, very few thank yous. You will understand that many a times you're going to work and you're going to minister unto people and you're going to help them. And there are going to be times when perhaps you were even worthy to be supported financially. And many a times they might look at you in your face and just stick out their hand and just say thanks a lot and send you on your way. There are many a times that you may go and help others and give of yourself to others, and many a times they will dare not even say thank you, good looking out, or anything in between. There are many a times, brothers and sisters, that we will work and it will seem as if it is not appreciated. Jesus understood that. Jesus understood that 10 lepers would be healed, but only one would come back, and there were times when perhaps none came back. But Christ understood in the beginning of his work, I came not to be ministered unto. I came to minister. If you and I are going to get involved in finishing the work in the various areas that God has called us in, we must understand that we are not getting into this thing so people can recognize us and appreciate us and express all these great things about us. Many a times, brothers and sisters, it will be the opposite, but the love of God will compel you to work. The love of Jesus Christ will compel you to go ahead and work and help the people anyhow, even though they may not say thank you, because you know that this was the work I was called to do. You know that Jesus, he even gave us instruction on what to say when we do our work? You know, one of the greatest things that we can do is compliment ministers to their faces. You know, Ellen White talks about that in volume one of the testimonies. She says the worst thing that we can do, she says it twice, never, never compliment a minister to his face. Why? because she says that they can't handle it. I remember Elder W.D. Frizee when he was preaching a message and a lady came to him and began to flatter him and tell him how great he was. And she began to tell him all how wonderful he was and how powerful he was and all these other things. And he said, dear sister, thank you so much, but Satan already told me that earlier today. <laughs> Spirit of Prophecy says that the enemy will use flattery 
to distract the minister of the gospel. And that's when men begin to get into places where they think they own the church and begin to do things because they have gifts and talents and abilities. That's why you don't want to compliment ministers to their faces. Because we ourselves are so frail and so weak that we can't handle it. You know, brothers and sisters, one of the best things I ever discovered is how weak I am. That's one of the best things I ever discovered. Because when you realize a weakness, you're protective. You do what you can to make sure that that weakness does not get, have a point where it overcomes you. God is so good that even when we do our work, brothers and sisters, instead of going around saying that we should tell the people to say thank you to us and all these things, do you know Jesus loves us so much? He even showed us what to say when we do our work. You want to know what he said? Luke, the 17th chapter. Notice what the Bible says. In Luke, the 17th chapter, Jesus literally told us what to say when we do our work. And oh, if we could learn this, brothers and sisters, how much of a blessing it would be. In Luke, the 17th chapter, Jesus in love so much loves us that he wanted us to understand the attitude of his workers when we go about finishing our work. And the Bible says in Luke 17, and if you're there, say amen. The Bible says in verse 7, but which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he's come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith that I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Now look at Jesus' reasoning in verse 9. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? What's the answer? I trow not. Then look at what Jesus says in verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say... We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Even Jesus understood the frailty of the human mind. Jesus understood the weakness of the human mind to the point that he had to give instruction to his disciples that when you do a good work and when people may recognize it and so on, and if anyone begins to say anything to you to give you accolades, praise, or all these other things, he says, say we are unprofitable servants. We've only done that, which God told us to do. That is the spirit of humility. I cannot say, look at the great work that I did. I can't say, look at the great sermon I preached. Were it not for God, I would not even have the ability for my mind to understand what's written in this book. Who am I to try to say, look at how great I am. Look at what I can do. I can do nothing. It is only because of the grace of God that any man can preach the word of God. It is only because of the grace of God that any man can teach the word of God. And if the truth be told, if you read the book Evangelism, it tells us that the preaching of the gospel from the pulpit is the easy part of ministry. The real part or the harder part is when you sit down with the people, visit them one-on-one, -on -one, work with the people, labor with them, work with them, press together with them, and show them how to overcome by the grace of God. That's the work of the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's an even greater work than preaching from the pulpit. And so Jesus shows us that when we are called to do this work, we are to have the attitude that when I do my work, I'm not looking for praise. I am not looking for accolades. I'm certainly not looking for trophies and all these other things. When I do my work, 
I simply understand that I'm an unprofitable servant. I am not even worthy to be able to do the work of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I tell you the truth. I am supposed to be dead. As I think about it, I've stared down the barrel of a sawed-off shotgun. I remember looking in the barrel, and I watched that man's finger pull the trigger. The bullets were supposed to have tore my chest open, brothers and sisters. I'm not supposed to be here. It was the mercy of God that spared my life over and over and over again. Do you know how many times I told Jesus no? And now he has finally got my attention, brought me out of the darkness of the hip-hop and R&B industry, and brought me into this marvelous light of present truth. Brothers and sisters, I promise you, I'm an unprofitable servant. I don't deserve to be up here. It is the grace of God that I stand before you. And it's the grace of God that you're sitting before me because you all have your own testimonies. Amen? And so we find that Jesus wants to make it clear, if you're going to do the work and if you're going to finish the work, he says, you must understand that you are going to enter into this work not to be ministered unto. Nine times out of ten, your work will not be appreciated. Many a times your work will be ignored. But we understand that's not why we got in. We got in because God did something for us, and we, we just can't keep our mouth shut about it. And the love of Christ just keeps moving us to tell others, even when they reject, even when they say no, even when they go behind your back and blacklist you from a conference, no matter what they may do, you still will have the love of Christ in your heart that will make you go and say, dear brethren, please hear what the word of God says. And you'll do it with a heart filled with love, just like Moses. When he saw all those Israelites in apostasy and Moses said, Lord, please forgive them. And if not, blot my name out of the book of life. That was love, brothers and sisters, and that's the love we need. Amen? So Christ calls us now, and Jesus gave his life for the people. He died that they may live. Brothers and sisters, you and I are going to be called, perhaps, to lay down our lives, to lay down our professions, to lay down our income, to lay down all the things that we may term life so that we may go out and do a great gospel work. There are many people in this room that I believe God is going to call to do some very special things to finish the work. And more than likely, God is going to call you out of what you're doing now, and he's going to call you into something that you may be scared to death to do, but God says, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not afraid, for I am thy God. And so we must understand that when we get into the work, it is the epitome of selflessness. We are not in this thing for self-gain. We are not in this thing to try to get people to appreciate us, love us, or anything else. It was love that moved us that even if they don't appreciate, we do it anyhow. That's very key when getting involved in this work. You do not sell books to get rich. We don't get involved in various ministries because we want to climb up corporate ladders or climb up certain ladders. We don't do any of those things. All of it is based on the spirit of humility. If we understand that, can you say amen? amen. Now, you will find that the workers of Christ, the workers of Christ, you will find that they were broken down, according to the Bible and spirit of prophecy, as three types of workers. Three types of workers. In other words, there were three kinds of workers that you find in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that God worked in and worked through under this principle we just studied. And they were all designed to finish the work. 
I'm going to let you know in advance what they are for those of you taking notes. The three workers that God uses to finish the work based on the Bible and the spirit of prophecy is, number one, the lay worker. The lay worker. Number two, the denominational worker. Number two, the denominational worker. Number three, the self-supporting worker. Number three, the self-supporting worker. They all are used by God in different and various ways to finish the work. And they are not all the same. They are distinct and they are different. But they are all used of God to finish the work. Now, I want you to notice how the Bible spells this out as we review some principles in the lay worker, Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel, the second chapter, I want you to see what the Bible shows us in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, the second chapter, you'll find in verse 47 that it was after Daniel was able to make King Nebuchadnezzar aware of the dream in which he had that the Bible tells us something that was very powerful. And I want you to look at the principle that comes out of this statement in Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 47. And if you're there, please say amen. In Daniel 2, verse 47, the Bible says this. The Bible says in Daniel 2, 47, the king answered unto Daniel and said, of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Here it is that Daniel, God's prophet in the days of Babylon, literal, and here it is that when Daniel and all of them were captives... At first they were slaves, but eventually you know they went through their tests, and eventually King Nebuchadnezzar saw some things worthy about him to allow them to dwell even in his court. Now, here it is that King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, can't figure it out. Daniel is used of God to help him figure it out. King Nebuchadnezzar is so pleased that King Nebuchadnezzar gives Daniel a job. He gives him an occupation. Daniel could have said, King Nebuchadnezzar, I am of the tribe of Judah. I am a slave here, and I need to finish the work. I have no time to take your job. I'm sorry. You're going to have to give it to another. I need to be focused on finishing the work. Is that what Daniel did? No, the Bible says that Daniel took the job. Daniel agreed to take the job. But in the midst of the job, Daniel said, I'm going to take advantage of this job, and I'm going to go ahead and set up some present truth believers in office with me as well. He decides to use that job as a medium to go ahead and find out how can I help get the people ready for what's getting ready to come. How can I go ahead and use this job, use this opportunity now that I'm a quote-unquote lay worker, and how can I help advance the truth? I want you to listen to a quotation from Christ's Object Lessons, page 350. It says, of Daniel... It says, we learned that in all his business transactions, when subjected to the closest scrutiny, not one fault or error could be found. 
When Daniel performed his job and his business, he knew, number one, that when I'm here, I'm here to set an example, not to follow one. And when he set the example, he knew that I can do nothing less than that which is excellence. So therefore, inspiration says that in everything that he did, he was scrupulous, he was careful, he dotted the I's, he crossed the T's, he was not prodigal or wasteful. Daniel understood, in everything that I do, I'm a witness in my business transactions. Daniel was not one who tried to cut corners. Daniel was not one who would try to see how lazy he can get and still make money anyhow. Daniel was a man who was diligent, brothers and sisters, and people beheld it, and it was to the point that you know what they said. They said, we can't find anything about this man that we can condemn him for except for the fact that he is faithful to God. When's the last time some of our supervisors said that about us? When's the last time our business associates said that about us? They, that they looked at us and they said they handle their business and they do their jobs with such an incredible level of excellence that all we can do is say, man, they must be faithful to their God. It says he was a sample of what every businessman may be. His history shows what may be accomplished by one who consecrates the strength of brain and bone and muscle of heart and life to the service of God. You see, most people today, brothers and sisters, when we go to work, many a times our going to work is simply our means of trading hours for dollars. In many respects, we go there, we trade the hours, and therefore we demand and expect to get our dollars for the hours that we traded in. And then, of course, we go ahead and get in businesses and different investments where we try to make our money work for us to go ahead and bring us more returns. Nothing wrong with that. But brothers and sisters, you and I must understand that when God gave you your job, when God gave you your business, he gave it to you so that you and I could be a light that shineth in a dark place. He gave it to us so that we can help people understand truth for this time. If not by our words, by God's grace, our lifestyle. I want you to think about those boys in Daniel chapter 3 in the next chapter, and you remember that King Nebuchadnezzar said, all right, it's time for us to go ahead and have a party. And everybody needs to bow at a certain time when they hear the music. And you know the story, they didn't bow. And here it is that because they did not bow, it moved the king to inquire, why didn't you bow? Now, we might have missed the principle, but that's a powerful principle. When we go to our jobs, we know we have rules that many a time say no talking about religion or politics. Is that right? Many of us have occupations or places that we go in the name of business that those are the two forbidden things. But brothers and sisters, there's no rule that says that you can't live religion at your job. You see, in other words, when everybody says, hey, are you coming to the Christmas party this weekend? And we say, no, I won't be there. They begin to ask questions like Nebuchadnezzar did. Why? And you begin to let them know why because of your principles and standards as it relates to parties. Your principles and standards as it relates to Christian living. When somebody says, hey, listen to this latest joke that I said. And they go ahead and tell that lewd joke with all that cussing and swearing. And here's everybody laughing. And here you are with a straight face, not laughing one bit. And you're correcting them and letting them know, listen. I know I can't control what you say, but if you want to involve me in your conversations, I'd appreciate it if you didn't use such foul language. They begin to look at you and say, wow, what's up with you? Why are you so different? When everybody else at the job or at the business invites you to that special lunch, and here it is that everything from the ham to the chicken is laid aside, and here you are 
Just saying, give me that which is plant-based. You take that which is plant-based and you begin to eat that and everybody starts to look and they say, wow, you just look different. Why do you eat like that? And you say, well, food gets broken down into blood. Blood is what my brain needs. My brain, brothers and sisters, houses my mind. So therefore, if the food that I eat is weak, debilitated, and diseased, then that means that my blood will become weak, debilitated, and diseased. And if my blood becomes weak, debilitated, and diseased, then that means that when it feeds my brain, my brain will become weak, debilitated, and diseased. And because my brain houses my mind, if my brain becomes weak, debilitated, and diseased, then my mind will be cloudy, and when God calls me to stand, I may not hear him and do what you do. But if the food that I eat is healthy, nourishing, and strong, then my blood will be healthy, nourishing, and strong. If my blood is healthy, nourishing, and strong, then it's going to make my brain healthy, nourishing, and strong. If my brain is healthy, nourishing, and strong, then my mind will be clear that when God downloads truth from the most holy place, I'll be able to hear it, understand it, apply it, and effectively share it. That's why I'm eating the plant-based food. The gospel of health. Everybody else at the job believes that the more nakedness and flesh they show is the better success they think they'll have. And here you are coming in, ladies especially, dressed like daughters of God, covering thy nakedness. The job begins to look at you, and the job begins to say, people at the job are looking at you. They're saying, you look so strange. What's going on? I see all of a sudden you're changing your dress. It seems like you want to hide everything. What's happening? And all of a sudden you're a witness like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you don't even have to say a thing. They'll ask, why do you dress that way? You begin to help them understand because God equates my body to the temple. And the temple had two apartments, the holy place and the most holy place. And God, when he called my body a temple, you will know that the most holy place was an area where the law of God is. And God said that my body is where he wants to write my law in my mind. And as a result of that, my body is not only representative of the temple, but there are things synonymous to my body that are typical even of the most holy place of the sanctuary. And you know what that means? What that means is that the common man, if he were to look inside any particular of the most holy place, he would die. That's why I have to cover myself because I can't let none of you common brothers see what my most holy place looks like. You get what I'm saying? You can literally become a witness, brothers and sisters, whether it be the way you dress, the way you eat, the way your language is carried, the ethics that you carry at the job. God says, this was the design that I wanted for my people as my lay workers, that they go at work with a focus not to simply trade hours for dollars. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If God wanted to give you money, he'd send you to one of the local beaches here in, Af in, in, in California, and you could just pick out a fish and there'd be some cash in it. God's issue is not money. America's in a recession. Heaven's bank account is not. God can provide all the money he needs. And if all we needed was money, God said, I can give it to you a thousand ways of which you know not one. But God says, when I send you to work, I'm sending you to be a light that shines in a dark place. These are the lay workers. This is the large body, brothers and sisters, of those who make up the name of God's remnant. And God has called these individuals to finish the work. That's why you show up at work. That's why you go to your job. You are going to reflect the lovely 
image of Jesus as you should. Lay workers. But in addition to lay workers, there were denominational workers. Now, when I, when I talk about denominational workers, I'm talking about men and women who are specifically called and hired by our church. These are the paid ministers of the gospel, the denominational worker. Now, sometimes when I talk about the denominational workers, especially depending on where I'm at, people feel real funny about this topic. They wonder, are there any good denominational workers anymore? Some people actually ask me that. Some people have lost almost clear confidence in many of our denominational workers because they think the whole thing is corrupt. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me. God knew that problems were going to come. Go to the book of Jeremiah 23. Let me show you. God knew that problems were going to come. In Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, you find that God did articulate this. He made it clear as day that, yes, it is true that there are going to be certain challenges as it relates to my people, my church, and, yes, my leaders. It is true. We should not ignore it. God acknowledged it. Notice what the Bible says in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2. And if you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2, it says, Woe be unto the who? Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. It is true that there are individuals today, brothers and sisters, that may hold positions of leadership that were not called to be where they are. Or perhaps they may abuse certain gifts and rights that God gave unto them. It is possible. In fact, you'll notice that inspiration even says something about it. You'll notice that she says, unsanctified ministers are arraying themselves against God. They are praising Christ and the God of this world in the same breath. While professedly they receive Christ, they embrace Barabbas, and by their actions say, not this man, but Barabbas, let all who read these lines take heed. It says, many will stand in our pulpits. In, wh in what pulpits? In our pulpits. It says, many will stand in our pulpits with the torch of false prophecy in their hands, kindled from the hellish torch of Satan. If doubts and unbelief are cherished, the faithful ministers will be removed from the people who think they know so much. If thou hast known, said Christ, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Testimonies to ministers and gospel workers, page 409. It is true that there will be many a times that we will run across those whom God has not called, those who have abused the rights and the privileges and the positions in which they hold. It is true, but brothers and sisters, you know, I'm a black man in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> and I take offense to it when somebody sees a young black man walking on the street and he's dragging his feet and he's wearing his pants hanging off his backside and he's going around acting like a fool and then everybody says, look at how those black people behave. Why do I have to be put in that category with that individual? Let that be that individual. But why do I have to be put in that category? That's wrong. Is that right? 
And so it is. It is wrong when we see ministers who are preaching with the hellish torch of false prophecy. Yes, it is true. We can say that minister is not called of God. But when we begin to say all denominational leaders are this way, brothers and sisters, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That's wrong. There are 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to Baal, and we need to be praying and pleading with God that God will strengthen them so that they may hold up the light and stand for the truth, though the heavens may fall. Do you know the Bible gives us a picture of one? Go to the book of John chapter 7. Notice, in John the 7th chapter, we get the picture of one. He was a denominational worker, but he was used of God. The Bible says in John the 7th chapter, when you get there, please say amen. Now, I want you to notice this. John chapter 7, and we're going to look at verse 45 to 53. John chapter 7, verse 45 to 53. Notice this now. In John chapter 7, verses 45 to 53, the Bible says, and because, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in John 8, John 7, verse 45. It says, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, Why have ye not brought him? They went to send out all these soldiers to go grab Jesus, and they came back without Jesus. So now the Pharisees are saying, What happened? Why didn't you bring him? Look at what it says. It says, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never a man spake like this man. It says, then answered them the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the, of, the, uh, of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Now look at what it says in verse 50. What's his name? It says, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet, and every man went unto his own house. The Pharisees were ready to take Jesus down. The Pharisees were ready to go ahead and to grab him and to imprison him. And here it is that when the Pharisees were getting ready to stop Jesus and his message and his truth, the Bible says that all of a sudden Nicodemus stepped into the picture and said, Wait a minute. Doth not our law teach us that a man must first have a trial before we condemn him? And even though they didn't like what he said, it thwarted their plans. You see, one of the things we learned that is very powerful about our denominational leaders, number one, is that God has some denominational leaders today that are actually preaching present truth, that are actually uplifting present truth, and that are actually doing the work to implement it in the day-to-day life of God's people as well. But I want you to notice something else that's wonderful, even about those who are denominational leaders as represented by Nicodemus. Notice what it says. It says this. But while Nicodemus had not publicly acknowledged Christ, he had in the Sanhedrin council repeatedly thwarted the schemes of the priests to destroy him. It was on a regular basis that Nicodemus would actually mess up the plans of how the Pharisees were trying to kill Jesus. It says, when at last Christ had been lifted up on the cross, Nicodemus remembered the words that he had spoken to him in the night interview on the Mount of Olives. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he saw in Jesus the world's Redeemer. Nicodemus, as a denominational leader, he was willing to take a stand. He did not go forward as publicly. 
And it's interesting. You know, as I was doing this study, I mean, I'm telling you, my eyes were just opening. It's interesting that he did not take as large a stand publicly because there was a lot of bureaucracy and stuff going on amidst his people that he did not take a stand publicly at the time. But on the backdrop, Nicodemus was often seeing, how can I help the work of present truth to go forward? That was interesting. And so though he did not publicly come out at first, on the backdrop, he was doing everything he can to try to hold the winds back so that the self-supporting workers, which I'm about to get to, could finish the work. Are you following? They would hold it back so the self-supporting workers could go forward and finish the work. Huh? It goes on to say, With Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus had borne the expense of the burial of Jesus. The disciples had been afraid to show themselves openly as Christ's followers. But Nicodemus and Joseph had come boldly to their aid. The help of these rich and honored men was greatly needed in that hour of darkness. They had been able to do for their dead master what it would have been impossible for the poor disciples to do. And their wealth and influence had protected them in a great measure from the malice of the priests and rulers. They used their resources as a barrier to let the present truth work go forward. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. And so you'll find that God says, I can work through denominational leaders. I can work. Brothers and sisters, you know, there are some people right here in California that I know personally that are being used by God to lift up the banner of present truth and finish the work. And they are denominational workers. God has not given up on everybody. There's still many who have not bowed their knees to Baal. And though they may be few, though they are hard to direct and see, brothers and sisters, they're there. And sometimes we suffer from blindness like Elijah because Elijah was too busy at that moment looking at himself rather than taking a true view of the inspired work that God was setting before him. You know many of us have the Elijah syndrome. Nobody's finishing the work but me. It seems like nobody's taking a stand. Therefore, I must. And God himself had to interject Elijah. Though used by God, God had to say, son, you still have a blind spot. There are still many who have not bowed their knee to Baal. There are still many who are called to finish the work. And brothers and sisters, we need to pray for those. We already studied earlier today what we do with those who are working the issues of apostasy. But brothers and sisters, for those who are standing for truth, we need to pray with them, pray for them. Go ahead and encourage them. Help them, brothers and sisters. And I'll tell you the truth. There are many a times that I've gone to certain places and I've addressed many issues in congregations just like this. We've talked about everything from church manuals all the way down to various board meetings and church policy and all that stuff. And brothers and sisters, I'm amazed to see how many of God's ministers who were against present truth when it was presented with the love of Jesus became advocates of it. I know of a church right now with a minister there. We were having some studies and a minister, he, he, he at one point, he, didn't, he wasn't very happy with the lessons that were going on because we were talking about victory over sin and all these things. Not everybody likes victory over sin. And here it is that as we were talking about it, it got to the point that uh, they, they, they ended up shutting down the meeting and they had us leave. We had to go find another church to do the studies. Started doing the studies at another place. And we started to do it there at a church too. At a church. Conference church. Started to go ahead and do our studies there. And when we started doing our studies there, in a while, guess what happened? 
some men who were filled with the Spirit of God who said, I will no longer be afraid. They went to that minister. They began to talk to him and say, why are you fighting God's truth? And you know what they did? They held him accountable. They said, you've been preaching error from the pulpit. You've been teaching things that are incorrect. And this is what the Word of God says. What say ye? And that minister, in the spirit of humility, he started to say, you know what? You're right. He said, I'm wrong. He repented and he reformed. You know what happened? I was in another country doing some meetings and I, got, I checked my email, got my email, and it was that minister. And he said, hey, Dwayne, would you be willing to come back to the church? You think I said, no. <laughs> you hurt my feelings. You think that's what I said? Brothers and sisters, love makes, things, love makes this work easy. And it doesn't mean that, that, that there won't be times of frustration, but the love of Christ removes those things like grudges and bitterness and animosity, all those things that typically give Satan an advantage. And brothers and sisters, when he sent that email, I said, absolutely. Started to come back, started to do the meetings on. Brothers and sisters, we started having up to 50 people who would show up for a Bible study. Here it is, we started going through the studies, and the pastor was there. And you know what? I remember one time the pastor raised his hand to make a comment. And the pastor himself said that even steps to Christ shows us clearly that the power of God has been invested in us that we may have victory over sin. I said, amen, pastor. You got to learn how to labor with the brethren. Some people are literal tares planted by Satan. No doubt about it. But there are many who are ignorant and they're fearful of present truth. They just don't understand. They think we're all in one big basket. They think that all of them are the same. But when they get to know us and when they get to see us, when they get to understand what we're really teaching and showing them and so on in the love of Jesus with the word of God, supporting every foundation which we present, brothers and sisters, there are many who love the truth who will respond, even amidst the denominational worker, which leads us to our last group, which is none other than the self-supporting worker. Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, you'll remember that when Jesus called the disciples, he made a very powerful call. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19, I want you to see how the Bible spells this out. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 4, verses 18 and 19. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, and Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus actually called them from their occupation, and he said, follow me. Come, let us do a work. These men moved from their occupations and went into a full-time work. And they started to go ahead and work with and work for the Lord. And brothers and sisters, Jesus asked them at one time, when I sent you out without script and without purse, you remember what he asked them next? He said, did you like anything? And they said, nothing. Many a times people ask, Brother Lemon, what's your income? As a self-supported worker, what's your income? You know what my income is? Matthew chapter 20, verse 4. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 4, what's your income? What's the income for all self-supporting workers? The income is pretty much the same. In Matthew chapter 20, notice what the Bible says. 
Matthew chapter 20, notice what it says in verse 4. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says in Matthew 20 and verse 4, it says, And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. You want to know what my income is? Whatever's right. What is a self-supporting worker's salary? It's the same salary. Whatever's right. You see, every lifestyle is different. People have different needs. People have different things that are going on in their lives, different circumstances and situations. God doesn't so much draw out a figure that you and I can go on the Internet and Google it and just figure out, oh, this is what self-supporting workers make. No. God says whatever's right. God says that's my promise to you. Whatever is right, that's what I'm going to give you. So therefore, when you get into self-supporting work, it requires a tremendous amount of faith. Because now you're actually going to get involved in a work where it might disrupt many of our psyche when it comes to how we manage things. Because most of us, especially us men, we like to typically manage by understanding budgets and when things come in and so on and so forth. But in self-supporting work, it doesn't necessarily work like that. It's not that you can't budget, but your income's not predictable. And the biggest reason why many people are scared of self-supporting work is because of the income factor. But God is saying, have faith, have courage. I am the one that will take care of you. Whatever's right. Whatever's right is what I'll give you. And brothers and sisters, we've been doing this for a few years, and I can just only say in my testimony, and I'm so glad that I know many others in their testimonies, that they've received whatever's right. God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus told the disciples to follow him in that self-supporting work, you will understand that God, as he called them out of their occupation, so it is that Christ, he's going to call many of us. But here's the thing that you got to remember that's key. This is important. Notice. I want you to look at this now. Very, very important. Watch this. In the future, men in the common walks of life will be impressed by the Spirit of the Lord to leave their ordinary employment and go forth to proclaim the last message of mercy. As rapidly as possible, they are to be what? Prepared for labor that success may crown their efforts. Now, this is where many of us make mistakes. Sometimes we hear or we sense that God wants to do something in our lives. We sense that the Lord is calling us away from that job or from that business and that we're getting ready to surrender everything, but at the same time, we forget that inspiration says, as rapidly as possible, we are to be prepared for labor or be trained. What a lot of people try to do is they just simply try to train themselves or they figure, you know what, God's my teacher, why do I have to listen to you? Now, brothers and sisters, I believe in the balance of Scripture. It is true that in John 14, 26, it says that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. So it is true. The Spirit of God will teach you. It is also true that Ephesians 4 and verse 11 says God has appointed teachers. So the balance is this. It is not a problem to subject ourselves to a teacher as long as the teacher subjected him or herself to the teacher. Once an individual says, oh, yes, I'm a teacher of righteousness, but they go ahead and indulge in smoking and drinking alcohol, I can easily say, that's not the teacher for me. 
When an individual goes ahead and they say, well, you know what? I believe that we're going to have to live in sin all the way up until Jesus comes. That won't be my teacher. When they begin to say, oh, you know what? You know, Ellen White, she gives good counsel, but her writings are not authoritative. That will not be my teacher. The prophet is the mouthpiece of God. It's the testimony of Jesus. It is Jesus speaking through the prophet to the people. It is authoritative. Brothers and sisters, if you follow what Sister White says, I want you to understand you are not following what a little old lady from the 1800s with a third grade education said. You are following the testimony of Jesus. And if you and I reject what Ellen White says, you are not rejecting the opinion of a little old lady from the 1800s with a third grade education. You are rejecting the testimony of Jesus. And so God says, listen, you need to be trained. You need to be prepared for labor. You need to get with those who have experience, and you need to get with them so you can go and do the work. So therefore, and let me say this very quickly. You know, I, I, I get calls where people will say, Brother Lemon, can you come to my church? We set it up. And then someone will say, oh, my pastor uh, said that you can't come. And I'll say, okay, what happened? And they'll say, they said that you independent ministries are, are dangerous. <laughs> now, brothers and sisters, I'm serious. Do a word search in the spirit of prophecy, please. Every time the servant of the Lord talks about independent work, she speaks of it in the negative tense. But every time she speaks of self-supporting work, she speaks of it in the positive tense. Self-supporting work is different from independent work based on the language of inspiration. Do the study. Independent work is when you're saying, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody does. This is the way I see it, and therefore I'm following it, period. Independent work is when they will take the words of God and they will begin to turn it against the church and begin to try to tear down the church and even get to the point to call people out of the church to start up purer, holier groups. First Selected Messages, page 179 says... There will be those who will talk about the close of probation and the shaking, and they will talk about the coming up out of God's church to form a more purer, holier group of people. She says this is what Satan wants. So independent work is more encased in this kind of activity. Self-supporting work, in many respects, is just about the same work as the denominational worker. It's just that the self-supporting worker is not looking for any organization to pay them. They're not looking for anybody to pay them. They're not on anybody's salary book. But they do a very similar work. So therefore, self-supporting work is all good, positive. And I'm thankful that God gave examples of that through the disciples, John the Baptist, and even Jesus himself. Now, with that being understood, let's finish the quote. No one, how many? No one is authorized to hinder these workers it's amazing how many people ignore that counsel. Yeah, it's funny. How do, how do I say this? You know, before Ted Wilson, I'm not here to judge any man, but I can clearly say that it's been quite a few years in this denomination that we've had a president like Ted Wilson. I can say, can you say amen to that? Amen. All right, good. So now you're in trouble just like me. They got it recorded. <laughs> now, watch this. Watch this. 
when I look at, at, you know, before Elder Wilson, it's funny. When they would give certain mandates throughout GC, and let's say something may not have been very balanced or, or according to the Word of God or something to that effect, if anybody were to go against it, they were immediately labeled offshoots, and, they would say, and, and all sorts of bad reports would go, about, go, go around about them because it was basically saying that you're not in harmony with the church. And that was used to shut down many ministers and ministries. But it's funny now that now that we have a president who preaches bona fide present truth, truth that is designed to finish the work, it's funny how all of a sudden individuals, whether they're presidents or otherwise of different places and conferences, they can go ahead and say, I don't care what Elder Ted Wilson says, I'm doing what I want, but they're not offshoots. Huh? That's just food to make us think. It's interesting that now that we have somebody who really understands how this work is going to get finished, now all of a sudden everybody wants to rebel. Oh, he's taking us back to the days of Ellen White. Oh, he's, he's, how dare he call us the remnant? Do you know it said that on a blog? A Seventh-day Adventist said, how dare he call us the remnant? So you can only imagine what's being stated about self-supporting workers. We're being put in a big old boat with everybody else. Self-supporting workers are good. Self-supporting workers are called of God, brothers and sisters. It is part of the work that's going to finish the work, and quite honestly, it's the larger work. Because if you really look at the works that's being done all throughout the United States of America, different youth conferences, different organizations that are happening all throughout the globe, it's very interesting how many of them are being done by lay workers and self-supporting workers. Very interesting. Now, no one is authorized to hinder these workers. They are to be bidden Godspeed. As they go forth to fulfill the Great Commission, no taunting word is to be spoken of them as in the rough places of the earth they sow the gospel seed. Volume 7 of the Testimonies to the Church, page 27. Brothers and sisters, the threefold workers that God is going to use to finish the work. God is going to call many who are lay workers, those who trade hours for dollars in business and jobs. God says, it's not that I want you to necessarily give up your business or job, but God says, I want you to make sure that you reform your focus. You're not going there just so you can build up all this cash flow and build up all these other things. You are there, brothers and sisters, to see how can I get the truth as it is in Jesus through this medium. God says, I'm going to work through denominational workers. And though we may not see them as much, just like in Jesus' days, they couldn't be seen that much. But brothers and sisters, many of them were doing the work. And for a time, they were doing the work behind the scenes. And then they were going forward, and they eventually, like Nicodemus, came out in the forefront, didn't they? And then there'll be self-supporting workers, those who realize that God is calling them away from the business altogether, away from the job altogether, away from all these other pursuits, and they are going to go ahead and do the work and whatever's right is God's method of taking care of them. God says, I'm working through all three. God says, I work through all three. And so, brothers and sisters, my question is very simple. Many a times God will call upon people, but sometimes we don't know what he's calling or who he's calling, what, what work we should do, and, and so on. Some of us don't know. We know God called us, but we don't know where he wants us. I want to give you a very important assignment. You want to write this down? I want you to pick up the book 
Education. I want you to pick up that little book called Education, written by the prophet, Ellen G. White. And what I want you to do is I want you to take that book and I want you to go to page 262. That is the chapter called The Life Work. The Life Work. That chapter, brothers and sisters, is a chapter that husband and wife, individuals, families, brethren, we can come together and we can study it out point by point, sentence by sentence, that we may know, Lord, what exactly is the work that you want me to do? And I believe you'll find tremendous gems. And I want to read to you one of the gems as we close. In the book Education, this is specifically on page 267. And I want you to listen to this because many people, and especially when I talk with young people, many a times they're like, Brother Lemon, I know God has a calling on my life, but I don't know exactly what it is. And I help them understand this. In Education, page 267, look at this. This is wonderful. I'll leave you just with the very first sentence to whet your appetite. The specific place. Now, sometimes God's people have more than one good option. And they don't necessarily know which is the best option for them to choose. But I want you to listen carefully to the language and the testimony of Jesus. It says, the specific place appointed us in life is determined by your capabilities. That's like God literally giving a key, giving a clue. God says the specific place, the specific place appointed us in life is determined by our capabilities. Now, when you read further down in page 267, she says many are physicians whom God called to be ministers. She says many are ministers whom God called to be physicians. There are people right now who are just getting occupations because they could only see their future through the eyes of someone else's thoughts, typically mother and father. And all along, God is saying, you're not even in the place that I can best use you. So when we talk about revival and reformation, we're talking about revival and reformation. We need to get back into the secret chamber of prayer, open up the books of inspiration, and go through them to understand, Lord, what exactly is it that you've called me to do? Because God has called some to be his lay workers. God has called some to be his denominational workers. And God has called some to be his self-supporting workers. And the question is, which will you be? And so, brothers and sisters, if you believe that the Lord is speaking to your heart, if you believe that God is helping you to understand better what it is that he would have you do, and if you're saying, Lord, I choose to be one of your workers in these last days so that now you can finish the work and I can be in the specific place you've called me. Do you know, brothers and sisters, I know I'm in the specific place God has appointed for me. I know it. And you have no idea what kind of peace that gives you. I used to work in the corporate world, strong six-figure income, and bona fide unhappy. Unhappy, not satisfied. I tried to do Bible studies and all those other things. But brothers and sisters, there was no peace. But I tell you, the last day of work, that last day of work, brothers and sisters, mm, went before God and I said, Lord, I'm scared because I've trusted you, but I've never trusted you like this. I have a wife and I have four children, Father. 
I need you to take care of me. Please don't let me make a mistake. Because I, wa I watched a lot of people. I moved real slow. I was Jonah. I knew God was calling me, but brothers and sisters, it took me a long time to get in this work because I was scared. And I remember when the pressure was just coming. I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt that where the presence of God is so thick around you, you know God is talking to you. And I just got to a point that I said, I don't know if I can do this. And I remember I preached at a church, and I'll share this in closing because, and I especially say that to those who believe that God is calling you into self-supporting work. I remember that I was preaching at a church, and I gave a message, and I just felt it was a regular message. And as I gave that message, a gentleman came to me. He was from Bermuda, and he just said, Brother, that was a great message. I appreciate it. And he said, Do me a favor. Take my card. And I took his card, and I was on my way home. And during the week, I felt that thickness of God again when I was at work. I was sitting at work. I was bored to death. You know, just, I was like, Father, I know you're calling me, but I'm scared. And brothers and sisters, I remember driving home. And as I was driving home, I was, at that time, I was going through the book Ministry of Healing. And as I was going through Ministry of Healing, I remember something that I read in the morning. But as I was going home in the afternoon, I remember that all of a sudden I heard this voice. And, 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 and you know, I, actually, I heard my phone ring. And my phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was that brother from Bermuda. And it was right at the time that I was saying, Father, how are you going to take care of me and my family? I don't want to fail like I watched a lot of other ministries fail. I've seen a lot of people in places that God did not call them, and I was scared. Lord, let me not go in the place that you haven't called me. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm driving, and I'm, I'm, that's on my mind. My phone rings. I pick it up, and all of a sudden, it's a brother, that brother from Bermuda, Brother Lemon. I said, yes, sir. It's me from Bermuda. Do you remember me? I said, yes, I do. He said, brother, he says, I've been so blessed by your message. He says, you know what? D do you accept donations? I said, well, you know, I said, if you want to give a donation, it's fine. And he said, okay. He says, go to Walmart and give them this code. And when you give them the code, it'll give you the donation. God bless you, brother. Wish you well. Got off the phone. I said, all right. So I went to Walmart. Went to Walmart, gave him the code. And remember, he called right at the time when that pressure was on me. Father, how will I take care of my family? And I'm, I'll be honest, I was thinking about finances. Usually when self-supported ministries get donations, typically, typically, $50, $60, something like that. 25 too, you know, right there, usually under 100 Well, when this person opened up the cash register, it was a $100 bill that came out. So I looked at that and I said, wow. I was like, praise God. But the person wasn't finished. Put another $100 bill. And I said, wow. Another $100 bill. Another $100 bill. Another $100 bill, another $100 bill, another $100 bill, another $100 bill. And it was 10 $100 bills. I wasn't so impressed, yet I was thankful that it was $1,000. But the Spirit of God said, what did you read this morning? And you know what I read in Ministry of Healing? I have a thousand ways of which you know not one. I went to work the following day and I told my manager, it's over. I'm gone. We haven't looked back over these past few years and God has been giving whatever's right.
Brothers and sisters, God is calling people. He wants to finish the work. And he's going to do it through the lay workers. He's going to do it through the denominational workers. And he's going to do it through the self-supporting workers as we press together, press together, press together. Not in error, but in truth. And so if you're really willing, if you know that the voice of God has spoken to your heart to say, I've called you as my lay worker. You know that God has called you as a lay worker. You know that he's put you in your place of business or whatever it may be in your job. And he put you there so that you may be a light there. And if you can see it that he called you, please stand to your feet. If you know that God has called you in that fashion, please stand to your feet. If you know that God has called you and you recognize that the Lord has called you into his work, and he called you not as one of his lay workers, but God has called you as one of his denominational workers. Perhaps he wants you to be an evangelist, a teacher, or maybe you're a pastor already, but whatever it may be, and you're willing to do that great work, then I want you to stand to your feet. You know that God has called you. You know that God has called you. But if you know God has called you, and he's laid it upon your heart to walk away from jobs and businesses, and to go into full-time work as one of his self-supporting workers. If you believe that God is calling you to do that, please stand to your feet. You know that the Lord has called you. Brothers and sisters, God is going to do something in us and through us for his glory to finish this work if we cooperate with him. And so as we close out in this meeting and as you're standing, I want to encourage you. And some may say, well, Brother Lemon, I'm retired. So where do I fit? Brothers and sisters, God can take his retired people and put them in any of those three categories. He's done it over and over and over again. You can be retired from occupations of this earth, but there's no such thing as retirement from the occupation of heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, as you stand, know that Jesus is going to work in you and through you for his glory as you cooperate with him. These are the threefold workers that God has called. And if you do not know the specific calling that God has placed on your life, but you're going to take that book, education, you're going to study it out, and you're going to see, Lord, what exactly is it that you have planned for me so that I may know and be in the place you want me to be? And you simply want me to remember you in prayer, then you please stand up. If there's anybody who says, I don't know, I don't know exactly what God wants for me, I don't know if he wants me to be in this category or that, but I'm asking, please pray for me. God will make all of his words plain. Desire of, six, Desire of Ages 668 says that God will speak his mysteries to us personally. He'll tell you all things and show you great things to come. Let us commit ourselves unto the Lord at this time as his workers. And as much as we're able to, let us kneel as we do this. Oh, Father in heaven. We praise you and thank you, dear God, for the privilege to be workers in your vineyard, to work as Christ worked, to finish this work in this generation. We can do it, Lord. We can do all things through Christ who is our strength. Please increase our faith. Father, I lift up to you all of those who stood, the lay workers, those who are still employed or seeking employment through this denomination. Lord, our self-supporting workers, they all have their place. Father, please anoint them with thy spirit so that they may go forward to finish this work. Father, I'm lifting up those especially who know not what the specific calling and the specific place appointed them is. I pray that they may search their capabilities, 
that they may know and understand what it is that your spirit is seeking to impart to them, that they may go forward in the work as you have called them to do. Make it plain to their hearts. Speak your mysteries to them personally. And as we commit ourselves into your hands, as we go forward and do our work, may we ever remember we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which you have called us to do. Thank you for this sweet revelation, Lord. May your name be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.